Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. My name is Grant Baldwin. Good to have you here with us today. Hope you're doing well. Hope your summer is going good. Hope you're enjoying the pool, the beach, the lake, the ocean, the pond, the, I don't know, whatever body of water or just, I don't know, maybe you're just like, no, I don't, I uh, hate water and I just like the sun and I'm uh, just soaking up UV rays on a daily basis and trying to avoid skin cancer. So good for you. Good for you. Hope you're out there just in, enjoying the uh, the beautiful weather. I know for my family and I, we love the summer. Summer is so much fun. So uh, we, we dig it. We dig summer. But nonetheless, we want to continue cranking out podcast episodes for you. We are here on episode 76, and today we are talking with my buddy Jordan Harbinger. Jordan runs The Art of Charm, which is uh, actually one of the biggest podcasts in all of podcast land, uh, for real. Like, Go check out iTunes. The Art of Charm is one of the top... I think it's it's typically like right up there, like the top two or three business podcasts, like of all of business and even all podcast, all of them. He's always within the top, uh, I think top... 50, maybe even top 30. I don't know. So definitely check it out there because he's got a, a great show. He's been doing, been podcasting for many, many years. So today we talk a lot about networking, connecting with other people. We talk about just building that charm, that likability, the importance of that whenever you are building your speaking business. But I've had the opportunity to be on Jordan's show before. So uh, we, we, we chat about that as a little bit as well. But just a, a great dude who really knows his stuff whenever it comes to speaking as well. So let's get into it. Here's my conversation with the Art of Charm founder, Jordan Harbinger. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Graham Baldwin here. I'm joined by my buddy, Jordan Harbinger, who is the host of the Art of Charm podcast, does some speaking himself, and all around good dude. What's up, Jordan? How are you today? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Good to have you here. We uh, had you on the previous podcast that we did. Uh, how did you get into that back in episode 49, which we will link up to that if people want to learn more about you, what it is that you do, and the empire that you run. But for now, why don't you just give us a quick context of who you are, what you do, and what the Art of Charm actually is? Sure. So I am the co-founder and the host of The Art of Charm. It's both a podcast and a school in L.A. where guys, well, where people come from all over the world to learn networking and negotiation and body language and nonverbal communication and charisma and personal magnetism, things like that. And the show itself is a little bit more diverse. People come to learn about any kind of variety of topics. The ones I mentioned above or earlier, not above. There's really no above. There's no above. To lo- I don't, I'm looking above, and I've, I've got my ceiling fan There's on. Radio is all around you. <laughs> and uh, we teach things like, well, we'll have guests like Sam Harris, who is a neuroscientist and a philosopher. And also, we just had Dr. Anders Ericsson, who talked about deliberate practice and peak performance. He's kind of the guy who originated the field of how can people learn these skills that are theoretically 
inborn and only for people with talent. And we have people like that, that any aspect of human performance is explored in detail in very practical ways so that after you're done listening, you're like, okay, I'm going to do these three things and they're going to help me get better at these different skills. And so I'm all about that. It's growth without the, you can do it type of vibe that leaves everybody hanging for how they can do it. I'm more of a, here's how you do it kind of person. And you've been like, for context sake, this isn't like a podcast that you just put together last weekend. Like you've been doing this for as long as most of us have been alive. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, We're going on nine and a half years next month. So it's an eternity in online land. Yeah. Online land, it's the dawn of when people were like, let me put it this way. When we started, there was no such thing as the iPhone. Dang. That's for context sake. Right. When we started podcasting, your phone, if it had a game on it, it was snake. Yeah. And it probably flipped open and you were like, whoa, there's a screen on one side and it has colors on it. And the keypad is on the other side. Mind blown. There was an antenna that you probably had to extend manually before you made a call. Mm, like the Zach Morris days. Yeah. Way yeah. back when. Maybe something like that. And people had, here's another frame of reference. When you started a website, it wasn't called really a website. It was called a blog because yep. that was the only website anybody knew about that wasn't anything. There was no Amazon or whatever to buy things off of, at least none that I knew of. And when you asked somebody else, hey, will you link to my blog from your blog? They just said, Sure. That was how blogs worked back then. Now try asking a blogger with an audience to link back to you, and the answer is, what are you smoking, right? Right, That People don't do that anymore. So let's talk about this for a second. So you've been doing the podcast for a while. One of the big ways that obviously you've built your brand, and now you do a little bit of speaking as well. What kind of speaking do you do? How does speaking kind of fit into your business? Sure. So I actually decided to do a little bit more speaking. I took Michael Port's, or actually, I don't know if you want me to mention that type of thing on yeah, here. Yeah, for sure. No, we've had Michael on the show. We've got Amy on the show. They're... Okay, great. Is this edited, by the way? No, not at all. One take. Okay. All this, right. This is all in right now. Now I can't start over. It's already, it's more, out. More I wasn't sure if, if you had like that kind of, whatever. Anyway, I'm digging the grave deeper. <laughs> but yeah, I loved their class, and I like the stuff that you teach as well about speaking, and I know it's a skill that people think Either you can do it or you can't, or you just have to get over stage fright, and that's the biggest thing. And I kind of learned, oh, okay, I don't have stage fright, but I'm still not that great of a speaker. And so I decided to get some lessons and some teaching, and that worked really well. And by listening to some of the stuff that's out there and taking some coaching on things that are out there, I got pretty good at it. And so I decided to say, hey, I want to speak at different events. And I kind of threw myself into the frying pan of doing a ton of different events, some of which were a waste of time, others which were great for different reasons. And I found that not only has speaking helped the show and business earn new fans and new listeners, but really it's helped me meet a lot of awesome people. And that for me, we were talking about this just earlier in the show, that for me has become the biggest value add from speaking is not just how many people can I advertise my products and services to, but being able to meet the other people speaking at events who normally are unreachable, have zero time, but they're being paid to go to this event or they're going there because it's worthwhile. So it's kind of this curated event where you get to hang out with really awesome people. And that is what the value is for me in my business is getting to meet other speakers. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And you're right that you and I, we were talking a little bit about that offline, that that's one of the big, 
I guess like just like non-financial benefits of speaking. And I think a lot of times like speaking for free gets this bad rap and either like you spoke for free or you spoke and you got paid and either you're a real speaker or you're not. And the definition is oftentimes whether you got paid and yet there's a lot of value that you can get for speaking for free. And one of those big things being that I was able to network with a lot of other speakers or potential clients or other people who may be in my space or industry that it's one thing for you and I to talk on each other's podcasts or to exchange emails or whatever is something totally different when we actually meet in person, which we've done several times. And it just changes the dynamic of that relationship. So that's definitely one of the benefits of speaking for sure. Yeah. It's not only just like meeting these other people, it's curated groups of people, right? Because the organizer of the event has at least in theory figured out who's going to be a good fit for that audience along with who said yes, right, if it's a really small event. But a lot of speaking coaches, including people who I've taken classes from, will often say never speak for free. That is a great idea if speaking is going to become your business. But for me, speaking wasn't going to probably ever be my business. I don't, when I get offered money to speak, it's the lowest part of my calculation unless the amount is just astronomical. I look at three different things. Actually, what this might make sense to talk about. I look at three different factors when I get asked to speak somewhere and not necessarily in order of importance, but probably in order of importance, money is at the end. And so if it's, it's sort of this weird balancing act. Imagine one of those, you know, those legal scales, right, those old right, school right. scales. It's kind of like that, but there's three balancing things on that. I don't know how the physics of that would work very well, but let's just humor me for a second on that one. The way that it works is if someone says, look, we're going to give you 25 grand to come to Mexico City and you know, you're going to be smashed into a Howard Johnson in a small cramped room with no AC with 500 people, I'll take it. 25 grand, I'll do it. No problem. I want to be out the next day though. I'm good, right? <laughs> or heading to Acapulco or someplace with less pollution. That's good. But if they offer me something like the other consideration is the people that are going to be around in the location. Right. And people for me is first. So if you say you're going to go to the middle of the Kalahari Desert, there's going to be nothing there except a yurt. But it's going to be with a bunch of really awesome people who you probably wouldn't meet anywhere else. And we're going to have a lot of fun hanging out and talking, getting to know them. I'll still go to that, even if I have to go out of pocket to get there. Because the networking, the connections, the new friendships, that stuff is awesome and kind of priceless, at least in terms of the amount of money that I have to go to get there and the time invested becomes a triviality. And the thing in the, the consideration in the middle is the location. I just recently got offered to speak in Tampa. I'm not stoked to go to Tampa per se, and the money was just like kind of meh. You know, it was it was going to end up being profitable, but not by a ton. It was going to be like a decent enough amount where I'm like, wow, this takes care of everything we could possibly do there, and we'll come home with a bunch of, of money in our pocket too. It's totally worthwhile. But we, Jenny and I were talking last time we were in Florida, which is where you and I hung out last, that we wanted to see the Everglades because we flew over it, and it looked so incredibly amazing, and it's going to be gone in 15 years because people keep building friggin' houses on it. you know. And we thought, let's go on one of those cool tours where you see alligators and giant snakes or whatever the heck you see in the Everglades. And Tampa's about three hours away or something right. like that, right? It's it's doable. It's a, it's a hell of a lot closer than where I am now, which is San Jose, California. So they're going to fly us out there, put us up in a hotel and give us a bunch of money. So we're going to go see the Everglades and maybe go to Disney World and then fly home and with money in our pocket. That's a great deal. But I don't really care that much about, I think I'm speaking to like a bunch of real estate brokers or something like that. And it's in Tampa in summer. So 
the people and the money are kind of, eh, well, but the location consideration was the one where we said, great, this is a great opportunity. Let's do it. And I think a lot of people, when they're getting into speaking, they make the mistake of only looking at the paycheck or only looking at some sort of nebulous calculation, which isn't a real calculation, such as the exposure is going to be really good. The exposure is just like, this might be counter to what you teach, Grant, but for me, the exposure is never going to be that good. Right. Unless you're speaking at something that is just next level awesome, like you get invited to go speak on stage with Tony Robbins and Richard Branson, go ahead, do that. The exposure is going to be good, right? But the people factor is still going to outweigh that because you're speaking with Tony Robbins and Richard Branson. Chances are the exposure is never going to be that good. It's certainly not going to outweigh the people that are there. If the exposure is going to be that good, other people are going to be there that'll make it worthwhile. So never make the calculation of whether you're going to go and speak based on exposure. And I'll tell you why in a more concrete way. Again, we talked about this just prior to the show. If you go on a podcast, which has 200 downloads per episode, which is really small, that's a really small episode, right? Let's assume that half the people who download it listen to it, which is also a pretty conservative estimate. That's a hundred people hearing about you and listening to you speak. How many people are in that event that you're going to? Even if there's a thousand people there, go on 10 shows over a week from home in your pajamas that each have a hundred people listening and 200 people downloading. That's an easy figure to hit. Why should you pay for airfare in a hotel and then go prep a huge talk and speak to those people live? The exposure is not there for you because chances are when people say the exposure, there's going to be two or 300 people in the room, half of whom are checking their phones. Right. No, I would, and I would totally echo that. Like, I think a lot of times event organizers, if they're trying to get you to come for free, then their pitch is the exposure. But, you know, the, the joke I often make is like, I can't pay my bills with exposure. Like, that doesn't yeah. translate to anything. And even like, uh, I think there's kind of a, uh, even a misconception, even with like TED Talks of like, that's the gold standard. If I can get a TED Talk or TEDx Talk, it's like, yes, that's nice and that looks good on your resume. But the reality is there's a lot of TED Talks out there. So you're going to be one of many. So again, kind of the, exposure that I think I could get from a TED Talk is really, really minimal, depending on the, again, like you said, depending on the context. And it have to be something pretty large scale for the exposure to actually move the needle for most people. Yeah. And, and let's, let me be super clear and kind of an elitist butt face right now, if I can. There's a major, almost incalculable difference between a TED Talk and a TEDx Talk. Yeah. And people, this is kind of like, this is one of those things where podcasters do similar stuff. They're like, I've gotten a million downloads of this show. And it's like, you've been doing it for five years. Those numbers are terrible, right? Yeah, that's a million downloads over five years. It's not that good. There's this whole thing where people will put in their bio, oh, I've got a TEDx talk that got X number of plays. Look, your TEDx talk, you can easily buy plays for that on YouTube. If you do a TEDx talk, you can do that. Anybody, I've gotten invited to do TEDx talks in places like... Detroit or Toronto, not there's anything wrong with those cities, but that's not where TED is. And there's 30 people, if that, in the room because it's at a community college. That's a TEDx talk. Yeah. You can get a TEDx talk at a YMCA. A TED talk and a TEDx talk are vetted in completely different ways. The audience is entirely different. And yes, then you are on a website that plays TED and TEDx talks, but the TED talks are the ones that make it into the massive wide distribution. They're vetted entirely differently. So 
don't think that a TEDx talk is just a slight step below a TED talk. It is a giant tumble down a staircase in terms of exposure. If I got invited to do a TED talk, I would jump at the opportunity, spend months planning it. It would be amazing. If I got invited to do a TEDx talk, I would do the regular prep like I do for every other talk. But if they're not going to pay me to be there, there better be the other considerations, people or location involved, because otherwise it's literally not worth it. I've turned down every single opportunity to give a TEDx talk I've gotten in the last probably three to five years I have turned down and I don't regret it at all yeah. because it's not been worth it. No, I would totally echo that for sure. I'm, I'm curious. Let's talk about, you mentioned that one of the biggest criteria for doing an event, whether it's free or paid, is the people. So you kind of touched on the networking component a, a few times. Why is networking at an event and the people at an event so high on your priority list? The reason that it's so high on the priority list is, first of all, you're investing your time, you're investing your money to go, or at least your time, even if you're paid. But chances are the amount that you're paid for an event is not going to be commensurate with your time if you have another business like I do. So me being at home is worth, easily worth a couple thousand bucks for the weekend or whatever that I'm at home. And generally talks that are trying to get you to go for exposure, you know, they're not going to pay you that and you're going to go out of pocket. So the, the math isn't there. The reason, though, is because if the event is great and the people are great, then I'm getting a chance to have FaceTime with people where I might never get to have FaceTime with them outside of talks and events. I might see those people once every year or every two years. And the reason is because they're busy, they're working on their business, and they're only going to that event because of the same types of calculations that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So I got invited to speak at an event. I'm not, I don't think I'm allowed to actually say what it is, but the other speakers are like, and I'm probably not allowed to mention this either, but I'll give an example. The CEO of huge companies of products that many businesses and, and individuals use every day are going to be there. And many people who have all of their net worth is, is in the billions. And they're like, what's your speaking fee? And I said, oh, it's this. And they said, wow, that's really high. And I said, look, I'm willing to be flexible on this between you and I, because I want to be on stage with these guys. And I think it's a great opportunity. And the person who asked me was a buddy of mine. So he's not going to go great. We're not paying you squat then. But you know, frankly, I would definitely be willing to go to this event for expenses because I want to be on stage with the owner of a giant airline and the inventor of a bunch of software and devices that we all use. I want to be in that group big time. And I certainly want to be able to hang out with those guys and talk to them and just find out what makes them tick or invite them to be on the Art of Charm as a guest or friggin' take a bloody selfie with these guys for God's sake. You know what I mean? I mean, anything that comes out of this is going to be positive. So it's very, very important for me to be able to attend events like that. And they've got an enormous budget for this. And I know that they're probably spending it on these other speakers. And I'm totally okay with that because the people factor is just enormous. For me, the more people I know, the more types of exposure I'm able to get for the show, the more types of guests I'm able to get for the show. And the more I'm able to connect with those types of people, there's an element of something that we call at the Art of Charms called social proof, where if I've got the recent guests, Sam Harris and Dr. Anders Erickson, I've got Tim Ferriss and I've got, you know, you and Michael Port on the show. When I go to pitch another author who might not give any podcast the time of day, her assistant might look at the lineup and go, maybe we should make an exception for this one. This one seems legit. And that's how things like TED Talks started off with, 
creative, interesting people and are now celebrities and superstars and famous people right. because the caliber of people kept getting ramped up and up and up until it's the, it's the place to go and give a talk. It didn't start that way. Well, I think the lesson here is that, again, the, the, there's so much more transactional value that you can get from speaking at an event beyond just, I got a check or I didn't get a check. And so in your case, it is the relationships, the networking, the people. And for anyone, it could be any number of things. So like you said, I would totally agree. One of the things you touched on earlier of the value of the travel and just going someplace fun, just going someplace cool. You know, the idea of going to speak at a conference in North Dakota in December, which I've done is not super appealing versus speaking in, you know, speaking in Hawaii at a gig, you know, and I've always jokingly said, like, I'll speak in Hawaii for free if you pay for my family to tag along. Because again, it's not like I'm going to speak for free. I'm getting value from it, but that value may look different than just being in the form of a check or not. Exactly. And, and like I mentioned earlier, I really think that the money itself is the last third and last concern. And it can really only trump the others if the figure is high. And that figure has to vary between, you know, if, look, if you're, if you're currently making, and maybe you're not paid hourly, but if you break down your hourly wage and maybe it's like 25 bucks an hour because you're making 60, 70 grand a year or something like that, if someone offers you five grand to go and speak, you better go do that. I mean, that's great. Three grand even. Go do it. Even if you have to fly out there and do all that stuff, you should definitely do that, even if you got to give up a weekend with the family, because that's mortgage payments for months, right? But if you're running a business that is making X thousand dollars per day and it centrally revolves around things that you create, if someone offers you the ability to give up one of your weekends for expenses, that's a terrible deal. Right, right. For sure. Let's cover this for a second. One of the things that I know that you cover that you teach on a lot is on the art of charm is that networking component that building relationships and part of being a speaker is this is such a relationship business and people do business with people they know like and trust. And I think sometimes whenever it comes to speaking we make it this mysterious thing that in terms of getting speaking engagements that you have to be on some type of like inner circle or you have to be on the circuit so to speak. There's no circuit and you just you have to do these things and I know the secret handshake in order to be in but really again it comes down to people doing business with people they know, like, and trust. So if I'm, let's imagine this for a second, Jordan, you're, let's imagine we don't know each other. You're hosting an event that I think I would be a good fit for, realistically speaking. How do I begin to reach out to you to build a relationship with you to, if you're looking for speakers like me that talk about what you're having for your event, how do I begin to build a rapport or a connection with you without coming across annoying or a pain or pestering or spamming you? Like how do I, how does a, a speaker go about doing that? Sure. I mean, for me, I've actually decided to ask. I'm that guy who's like, hey, I heard you're having an event. What are you looking for in a speaker? And often that person will say, yeah, we're really looking for people who have more of a financial bent. Do you know anyone? And that and you might say, well, you know, I do this and this and this. Do you think it's a fit? You just have to be comfortable hearing the word no. Right. And I think that's a problem is a lot of people aren't comfortable hearing the word no. So they're afraid to ask. I made the leap to going, do you think I would be a good fit to speak there? And, it, and no is a perfectly acceptable answer. And a lot of people said, sure, actually, I think that would be great. And a lot of other people said, yeah, I'm actually not sure if that makes sense. Here's what we're doing. And, and oftentimes I can't help but agree, 
right? Because again, if you're not doing it for exposure and they're not going to pay you because the event is something that either doesn't have a speaking budget or they're like, well, you know, you'd be a decent fit, but we're spending our entire budget on our keynote, which is Richard Branson or whatever the hell, right? You've got to look at the people angle. And so I started to ask for tons of different gigs and I started to actually get a bunch and I actually was, and this is going to be like Crimea River, but I actually was quote unquote too successful at doing this to the point where I had to not only stop asking to speak at things, but also cancel a bunch of things because I realized, wow, I've got like 18 speaking gigs. I'm never going to be home. And most of them didn't fit the people location money calculation, people location compensation calculation. Can we say that? I like is that-, that. that is vanilla ice material. It is vanilla ice material. And uh, oh, your mic is crackling a little bit, by the way. It is? Yeah, it's crackling big time right now. Hang on. Stand by, blue team. We're not editing this either. Is that better? There you go. You're good now. It like hadn't detected it before or whatever. Good times. All right, anyway, carry on, carry on. Um, so where were we? So the I started asking, and I know that's that's kind of crummy advice because people are like, I can ask. But do you do it or are you afraid, oh, they might say no or, oh, I don't have anything to offer? Put together a pitch, a speaking package, et cetera, you know, essentially like, what are they called, Grant? You know this. There's the synopsis or something like that or there's a little. No, I mean, you can like there's like the common term in in speaker world is one sheets. But I think even those are I think can be a bit dated. And I think even what you're describing, though, works. And that's one of the things that we teach and talk about is the challenge of just asking, of just sending an email. Because, again, we can try to overcomplicate it with you need to have this fancy one sheet and you need to have all these bells and whistles. And, yes, there's a couple of like really, really basic marketing tools that you need to have in place. You need to have a website. You need to have a demo video. But at the end of the day, again, it is a people business. It's a relationship business. And so it's one person. And if you're an event planner, like in this situation, if you're an event planner and I'm a speaker and you're looking for people to talk about the subjects and things that I speak about, then I, as the speaker, am reaching out to you, providing a solution to your pain, to your need. So the challenge is, again, not doing it in an annoying way or a a spammy, pestering way, but just saying like, I'm a speaker, you're looking for speakers, so how do we make this a fit for you and for me? how do we make this a win-win situation? Yeah, I think one of the other tricks, first of all, yes, win-win, filling in a blank of content. You might even see, well, this person's going to talk about finance management, this other person's going to talk about investing, and this other person's going to talk about real estate investment. You might be a person who talks only about cash flow and that's a great fit and so you kind of pitch it that way or you might be somebody like me who speaks about networking and relationships and it's like well how's that going to fit in and the idea is that's something you can either stretch and figure out or not stretch and, and seems readily apparent to you based on that event that's another reason why speaking for exposure makes a little sense if you're speaking for exposure you better be a really good fit, right? Like you, you better be selling a product for real estate agents to get better training and better sales. And you're speaking to an organization that only consists of those people. Yep. It's gotta be something like that. And even then it, it's probably not worth it. So the way that I look at that is I will send in a little synopsis, but maybe not a one sheet, like you say, but a little sort of blurb. Here's what I talk about. It goes like this. And if you have a video of you doing it, that's great because what I've noticed is a lot of times they're looking for speakers that fit the audience, but other times they're like, okay, we're going to have this guy and this guy is so boring. And then we're going to have this guy and this guy is really boring, but well-known. 
and then we got to have another speaker. And they look at a video of you and like, wow, what a dynamic, funny person. That's what gets you booked, in my experience, some of the time. Because that's why these people who are like reality TV show stars, they get booked to speak at things like, what is it called, Dreamforce, the Salesforce conference, because everybody else is speaking about plugins that go into Salesforce right, right, right. or some sort of automation setup. They want somebody who comes in and is funny and talks about overcoming a hardship. That's interesting. It's probably one of the better talks they're going to book. It's just not directly in the wheelhouse of Salesforce or whatever the event is. The other thing that I do that really been super helpful and has gotten me booked at a lot of really cool events is I'll ask a friend who I know has spoken at that event in the past, speaking of meeting people and networking, and I'll say, hey, do you think that such and such event is looking for speaker that might be like me? And oftentimes, if they're a good friend or a good networker, they'll say something like, yeah, actually, I think that would be a really good fit. And I know you can speak. Do you want me to recommend you by email? Having a recommendation come from a past speaker towards you is a really good endorsement because it says, hey, I've been to your event. I get the vibe. I know how you roll. We're friends. And my other friend would be a great fit. You're saving the curator of that event a ton of time and hassle trying to figure out if you're a good fit. You automatically jump to the top of the list. Why sort through a bunch of resumes a la monster.com to kind of figure out whether or not this person's a fit when somebody who's already spoken there says, this is the type of person who should be up next to me on stage. Right. Yeah. And in fact, I would totally echo that. I remember my first full year of speaking where I speak, I just got started. I'd been speaking for about a year and a half or so. And the first full year of speaking full time, I went back through and just trying to figure out like, where am I getting bookings? How do I duplicate that? How do I pour gas on that fire? And the largest source of business I had at the time came from other speakers. It came from referrals. So connecting with other, other speakers of, Hey, you know, the budget's maybe a little too low, so I can't speak at it, but you know, talk to this person over here, they would be a good fit or the, I'm booked that date, but let me refer you to someone else. Or I know someone who lives in that market or in that area, so let me refer you to them. And a lot of times the way conferences and events work is that even if you do a great job, they typically won't have you back for a couple of years because they want the audience to turn over. They want some fresh faces. They don't want to just have the same speaker year after year after year, even if you are phenomenal. So a lot of times what will happen is after the event, you are awesome. We would love to book you again in you know three to five years, but... Who do you know in the meantime? And so like you said, again, this is a relationship business. So if I speak at a conference and then I do a great job and I turn around and refer Jordan and Jordan does a great job or whoever does a great job, it makes me look good to the event planner. So it continues to solidify that relationship. So just asking, and I think even that's how, if I remember right, like that's how you and I connected originally was, I think you just sent an email originally. So Let's talk about that for a quick second. How, like, because so many of us fear that rejection of just asking, and because yes, you're going to hear no a lot, or oftentimes you're just not going to get a reply at all. You're not. You're just going to hear silence. How do you kind of get over that fear of asking, or even just reaching out to learn more about the gig in the first place? Sure. So getting over the fear is a little bit. It's kind of a nebulous concept, right? Like theoretically that fear will subside on its own through practice and blah, blah, blah. So what I recommend people do is maybe don't start out cold asking. Why don't, why don't you go through friends wherever you can? But the problem with that is sometimes that can inherently limit what gigs you get. You don't want to not ask to go to FinCon, for example, because you don't know anyone there. Right. So you can ask for introductions to those people who run the event or other speakers there, and eventually you'll get good enough where this becomes a non-issue. But I would say 
it doesn't realizing that the initial rejection is not about you because they don't know you is a huge help. So if, if you come up with your synopsis and you realize, oh, you know what? Look, I've got to send this out to different conference organizers. You tailor it for each one and you get a bunch of no's. It has to do with your synopsis. You're just getting valid feedback on why what you think is a fit isn't a fit. And a lot of times you can say, great, would you, I'm really new at this. If people say no, use it as a learning experience. So you can actually look forward to them. No, I don't think this is a good fit for VinCon. Sorry. Great. I'm really new to the speaking game. I would super appreciate it if you would take the time to tell me why you don't think this is a fit. Is there anything I can do next year? And the, the keywords are next year because what they don't want is to give you feedback and then have you repitch five minutes later because it's a huge pain in their butt, right? They've already said no. You say, I won't bother you again this year, but I would love it if there's something I could do for next year that you think would be a better fit or for other conferences, what you think I'm doing in my communication that might not be good enough to get your attention. A lot of times people will ignore that, but other people will say, oh, actually, you know what? I think that it's just not a clear enough value proposition. Or you say that you're an authority on this, but you really have no creds to back that up. So you kind of have, you've left that out if you have any. And if you don't have any, maybe you shouldn't be speaking about that. Or if you do have some, they should be in the, the synopsis or the pitch, you know, and people leave those things out all the time thinking, oh, well, I did mention I had an ebook on the subject. Yeah, well, maybe that's not good enough. Oh, well, then maybe you need to write a real book on the subject, right? right? Maybe that's the problem, or maybe there's some other issue there, or maybe you don't have a video. They don't know if you're any good. Or maybe you do have a video and you're not that good, right? So you'll find the weak links in what you're doing by asking for that feedback. And that's a good thing. But if you're afraid to ask people anything because you might learn that you have a weak spot, and that's what's bothering you, you're in deep trouble because then you're not willing to grow. And that's something that you'll have to explore with like a therapist or something, I guess. <laughs> that's but, a different episode. <laughs> but for us, getting rejected is fine. I mean, I get rejected for stuff all the time, for media events, for pitches. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said I never took it personally. Like sometimes it is a bummer. Look, I've created this amazing thing. And they go, nah, it's not that amazing. That can be a bummer. But if you're new, if you're new to the game, you haven't done a whole lot most likely that you're, you've invested in this. It just might seem like that. And so I try to keep that in perspective, you know, Oh, I'd love to go on Oprah. Well, you know, you're not a fit. I mean, that's a bad example, right? Because <laughs> she doesn't, she's not around anymore, but Oh, you're not a good fit for this. Well, other people go on there. Well, let's see, who are they? You know, who are the people that end up getting on XYZ talk show, Howard Stern, whatever. They're either people who have done something really goofy, quirky and unique, or they've been in the game for so long that there's a book title called this, and I think it's a Steve Martin quote, so good they can't ignore you, yeah. right? When I get rejections for stuff like that, I just think, okay, well, in a few years, there'll be no chance that they can say no, right? Because it'll be so powerful of a medium. The show will be so good. It'll have so many great people on it that ignoring me would make no sense for them. And you just try to get to that point. You can't expect it to come because you want to be on Howard Stern or you want to be on whatever show. It's just, that's not how it works. And people expect that of me too. So I get it. I'm a health and fitness expert. Well, not really. I mean, you've read a lot of articles online, but you have no PhD. You don't have a track record with clients. You don't have a social media platform of, uh, you don't have a blog that people love. Why would I have you on the show? Well, I want to be an expert in this area. Good. Go become one, then come back to me. Don't expect me to make you that. And so I think a lot of people look at rejection that way as some sort of reflection on them personally or that they haven't done enough. And that might be an uncomfortable truth that you have to face. Yeah. 
Well, and you touched on something there, and that, let's go down that trail to and to kind of wrap up with this. But just the long term mindset of this, you know, if you're whenever you're just getting started, whether as a speaker or as a podcaster or as a authority or an expert in any type of space, that's not an overnight thing. And we, you know, we kind of jokingly touched on that at the beginning that you've been podcasting for years and years and years, and so there's plenty. It's easy to look at it now and be like, well, you know, Jordan's got a really successful show and he's always at the top of iTunes, but he's been doing this for years. And how is it that I've been able to make a successful career as a speaker? Because I've been doing it for years and years. And so in the midst of this, also remember that you can't compare where someone else is to where you're starting. Like that's not, it's not fair to say, well, Jordan's got a bigger show. Well, of course he has a bigger show. He's been doing this extremely long. He's been doing hundreds and hundreds of episodes in the same way that, well, such and such has been speaking, you know, speaks at bigger events or why did they get booked? And I didn't, well, maybe they've just been at it longer. So having that long-term perspective really makes a big difference. It does. And, And don't compare your blooper reel to someone else's highlight reel. Right. People might look and go, oh, you've got this big show and angry people will say, what a clown. He doesn't deserve that. Or and other people say, oh, well, you know, he's naturally good at it. I get that a lot. Oh, he's naturally good at it. And it's all I can do to not email them. Episode one of The Art of Charm, where I'm like, hey, guys, this is my podcast. And it's echoing because we're in AJ's basement and the furnace is on and I've got glasses and crap on the table. I'm hitting the microphone. You know, that's where I started. I just don't do that anymore. Right. And so expecting to be where we are now is, is ludicrous. I mean, there's a decade of me doing this all the time, regularly, and getting better at the technique of being on mic and talking and free flowing and whatever. And so, yeah, but imagine <laughs> comparing yourself to others is a losing battle. And it's, it's really a recipe for unhappiness. And you've got to realize, look, Tim Ferriss started a show two years ago or three or something now. And it's like, probably three times or five times the size of the art of charm or I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing, right? So it's easy to go, oh, it's unfair. It's not even that well done of a show. And, you know, I hate him. He's short or whatever. I I don't. I liked him. He's a friend of mine. But it's easy to get angry and take it personal and try to find ways that, you know, he's not as good or some other thing that people do to rationalize someone else's success. And then you got to think, well, wait a minute. I've known him for a really long time. I remember reading Four Hour Work Week in 2006. That's when we got to know who he was because he had that breakout bestseller. Imagine the work that went into creating that before it even became an idea for a book and a book that my business started right when that book kind of came out right. or right before that book came out. So I had the idea for The Art of Charm when he had already launched what was something that was probably years and years in the making, both right. in research and in work. And so it's not fair to then go, well, he just started the show and out of nowhere, not out of nowhere, out of the last decade of him working his butt off and creating a really great platform, he was able to leverage that into this. We'll be there easily in the next three to five years or however long that time took because we have a plan to do the same thing. People really don't look at what went into it. Oh, so-and-so's speaking now? Well, yeah, he's the CEO of a company. Guess how long that took? 30 years. Yeah, he's got a speaking career, and it's starting slightly ahead of you. That makes sense. It makes sense. But we're so quick to go, but I've been speaking for three years. How come I didn't get booked there? Because you're not, you didn't have the background. And it's really easy to only look at one, sort of zoom in on one piece of their timeline and go, this isn't fair. Chances are it is fair. And whenever it seems really unfair, all these other calculations in play, look at who they know. Then it's easy to go, well, it's all about who you know. Wah, wah, wah. Turn that into a competitive advantage. Start doing the networking and relationship development thing, which is what we teach at AOC, and turn, oh, it's all about who you know into into something that people say about you. 
not something you say about other people to rationalize your shortcomings. Jordan is angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, good stuff, dude. Oh, I appreciate you uh, taking it. To, I, I like that. I, I think I think it's so true. Just it's just easy to compare where you're at to where someone else is, and not seeing the behind the scenes work that it takes to be successful. I, I think I don't, I don't I, I think we could both go on those rants and the frustration of any level of success that we have comes because we work our butts off and nobody sees the long hours or the times that you're spending sacrifices that you're making in other ways that there's no shortcuts here. You have to be willing to put in the work, whether it's podcasting, whether it's building a brand, whether it's writing a book, whether it's becoming a speaker, whatever that thing is, it just at the end of the day comes down to you actually doing the work. Yeah. And isn't there to sort of put a bow on it? Isn't there some saying where there's some sort of metaphor for this, but let me not try and butcher that one and just talk about healthcare. When people go in and get surgery and it takes three hours or five hours and they get their tonsils out, I think my tonsil surgery was under two hours and it costs something, it was ridiculous. It was like $28,000 or something insane, right? Healthcare costs are inflated, but let's, let's look at that. Let's say it was half as much and it was only 14 grand, right? That's still pretty expensive for two hours of work. But that doctor went to medical school and did a residence for over it, well over a decade to be able to figure out how to do that without killing me, right? right? And that is worth it. So when you think about, oh, well, this person, they have a show or they have a platform or they have this and this and this, you've really got to take into consideration the whole thing. You've got, and some people, is, think about it this way, when those people speak about tragedy and things like that and that's their angle, do you really want to trade with them? It's like, yeah, I was in this crazy car accident, now I'm paralyzed, then my brother was killed, then my wife was murdered by somebody and I couldn't protect her because I'm in this wheelchair and now I'm speaking about forgiveness. Do you really want to trade with that person? You know, a lot of times, and that's an extreme example, but there's a lot of crazy stories out there that give people a platform. I don't want any of those. Yeah. I'm happy with the life that I have. And so, yeah, the opportunities that opens to speak. All right, let's wrap this up. Let's put a bow on it. So if people want to find out more about Art of Charm or what you're up to, if we want to listen to the podcast over there, where can we go? Search for The Art of Charm in iTunes or whatever you're listening to this podcast with, and I'll be there. Or you can email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I'm also on Twitter at The Art of Charm. Or just go to theartofcharm.com. I mean, do people still use websites anymore? I don't even know. I think people may, you know, like, we give domains out, and I know you do the same, but, like, I don't know. Do people remember those, or they just go right to just yeah, Google? Google The Art of Charm. And the Art of Charm, it's an idiom in the English language. You can probably remember that. Use whatever you do to navigate to the website, and there's the show. But honestly, you're listening to a podcast. You probably know how to use podcatchers, as they call them. Mm. So just type in the Art of Charm in the little search bar there, and we'll be there. Boom. All right, dude. Thanks for the time. Appreciate you. Thank you. All right. There you go, my friends. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jordan Harbinger of Art of Charm. Good stuff. Hey, let me quickly remind you. I know I've mentioned this to you guys a few times, but we do have a free online training teaching you guys all about how to find and book speaking engagements. This is one of the most common questions that we get is, Grant, how do I find, how do I book speaking engagements? How do I get paid? So rather than just like sending you an email or something, we've put together a in-depth training, online training, teaching you all about how to find and book speaking engagements. So it's totally free. You can register by going to freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com. So definitely want to check that out. All right, that wraps up episode 76. We will catch you next time, my friends. You're awesome.